You're listening to China Africa Talk. Jambo ni Bridget akikuletea kipindi kinachohusiana na China na Africa. Vous écoutez le dialogue sino-africain avec Bridget. Everything China, everything Africa. Olá, você está ouvindo China Africa Talk com Bridget. Sayidati wa sadati, marhaban bikum. Fi al-hawar al-siniy al-arabi ma'a Bridget. Welcome to another edition of China Africa Talk. I'm Bridget Mutambirwa coming to you from the Chinese capital in Beijing and as usual with discussions and insights from a Chinese and African perspective. And in today's discussion, we get to talk about things that matter on earth like climate change and our focus is on the COP28 summit running from November 30 to December 12 in Dubai. Now, on today's episode, my guests and I unravel some topical issues up for discussion at the COP28 like the impacts of the first global stock take on developing and underdeveloped countries. We'll also look at the landmark decision of COP28 to operationalize the new fund on loss and damage, climate funding, possibilities of phasing out fossil fuels, and of course how China and Africa have been collaborating in efforts to mitigate climate change. Let me begin by introducing my guest panelists. Today I have Changhua Hu, she's acting chair, governing council of Asia Pacific Water Forum and senior fellow of Institute of Public Environmental Affairs. Dr. Changhua, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. And my second guest today joining us all the way from Kenya is Dr. Oscar Agan. He's a registered lead environment expert at the National Environment Management Authority NEMA in Kenya and an active member of the Environment Institute of Kenya. Dr. Agan, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Brigitte. Dr. Chungwa, you are among Chinese participants that attended the COP28 climate change conference and I understand there was a China pavilion set up to host various sessions on the sidelines of the two week long climate meet what were some of the pressing climate issues for discussion from China Actually I I'm one of the nearly 85,000 participants uh, to the Dubai COP28 this year, the largest ever attended the COP uh, of the UN climate governance mechanism. Uh-huh. And uh, so there's there's not one China pavilion, actually there were two. Okay. Uh, so one in the blue zone, which is more like a, a little bit official site, mm-hmm. and then in the green zone, which is a little bit more opened up to the broader audience, there's another one. From the agenda perspective, they are pretty much a packed schedule every day mm-hmm. and uh, covering issues ranging from mitigation, mm-hmm. adaptation, finance, technology, you name it, which are aligned with the UN Paris Agreement. But in the meantime, it's much, much more detailed in a way that a lot of the actions, innovations, the partnerships were presented there. Besides, there were lots of scientists, scholars, industrial leaders there as well, mm-hmm. and really deep diving into nitty-gritty details because today action is the thing of the day. And rather than just talking about you know, we need to work together for climate change, rather in reality, China and all the other countries already are deploying uh, mm-hmm. solutions. So I call that in the last mile space there because that's where we need to concentrate global efforts, global resources to address the real-time challenges, particularly mm-hmm. figuring out what hurdles exist, how we can work together to remove those hurdles in order to achieve accelerated and scaling transition towards sustainability. Okay. And over to you Dr. Gan. I'm just going to go back a bit here in time. The world's first Africa Climate Summit hosted by Kenya 
co-organized with the African Union, took place early September. Just about three months later, we find African leaders also participating at the COP28 in Dubai. What are some of the negative impacts of global warming in Africa that need urgent attention from both gatherings? There is quite extensive damage and reality of global warming because Mm. uh, we are currently experiencing floods at the moment. It's raining. This should normally be the short rains, but it's turned out to be a major downfall, which has caused damage on mm-hmm. parts of northeastern Kenya and western Kenya. It's mm-hmm. flooded. And even at the coast towards Mombasa, it's terribly flooded. Mm-hmm. Now, before this, there was prolonged droughts. Mm. which are abnormal. So the reality of climate change has caught up with us. And uh, we've had extreme climatic conditions here, Mm. which are worth noticing. And it's time that action was taken and the talks were made a reality. Professor Changhua, perhaps picking off from what Professor Argan just mentioned, and arguably climate change has become a major challenge to the natural and economic environment and social and economic development of China and Africa. What measures have China, which is the world's largest developing country, and Africa, the continent with the largest number of developing countries, done in promoting cooperation on climate adaptation and mitigation? Well, I wouldn't really use the word arguably. Okay. Uh, it, it is, it's a hard fact. Uh, we are caught up in the climate, intensifying climate crisis already. Uh, I think that's the global consensus there. Mm-hmm. So global community more than ever is now clustered around how to address this sort of crisis. We call it even called polycrisis mm-hmm. because we're living in a sort of tipping point state of time. Mm-hmm. So we need to take efforts there. Now, from China perspective, China is the world's largest developing country right. and also been demonstrating its leadership and the endeavor to really accelerate the clean energy transformation. Mm-hmm. I think all the data, you know, the evidence already being recognized even throughout the COP28 there. So you know, on one side, we're talking about this sort of a negative tipping points because we are living in this sort of multiple crisis like climate change disasters mm-hmm. or the consequences or loss of damages there, right. then there is the other side, we call it like a positive tipping points, which is mostly led by China today, mm-hmm. uh, which is around the solar, wind, battery, basically, we call it clean energy transition there. Okay. Now, China is also caught up in climate disasters, like the rest of the world there as well, particularly Africa. And so this is another track of efforts there. So Chinese government has been making decisions, investing in build up the adaptation capability. If you look at uh, technology-wide satellite capability, we need to really enhance our early warning Mm -hmm. and preventive measures, resilience measures as much as possible in order to reduce the damage, loss and damages in real life. Mm -hmm. And uh, look at Africa. I think a very similar thing as well. Mm. And Africa now, they are coming together to pull their resources, efforts, endeavor, and political will together to address climate change challenges there. On one side, I think, as we talked about here, adaptation, loss and damage, resilience, definitely become so important these days. So on one side, we need a global community uh, through the UN platform to really make sure, you know, we compensated for mm. the issues, not really, mostly not by developing countries. 
But in the meantime, we need to enhance our own capability through partnership, collaboration, mm. really figure out how to avoid the older path we call like a fossil fuel. Right. Rather, we need to leapfrog into the clean energy part. So I think, you know, if you look at the China and Africa connections there, China definitely has been working very closely with the African nations. Mm. And through the Belt Road Initiative, through the South-South Climate Partnerships there, Hopefully through that process, on one side, China can share its own learning, experience, expertise, capabilities to support African countries to fight climate change and accelerate the clean energy transition. But in the meantime, I think we need to figure out how to put our resources together, right. including talents, financial resources to work together and help each other. When you mentioned clean energy, when I was following the COP summit, it was nice that they mentioned something about clean cooking. Oh, I like cooking, <laughs> but it yeah, got my attention. <laughs> and it's something that I never thought about, how women, we actually contributing to some of these climate issues, especially in some rural areas where you find us cooking you know, with the fire, with wood, and we chop wood. We also playing a role in this. Absolutely. I think there were two things. There was one session I spoke on the women in mm. the clean energy transition. On one side, the women and girls from gender perspective, mm. we are mostly severely impacted by the disasters. Mm. But in the meantime, if you look at the reality, there's very encouraging sign to the number of data out there. They say, you know, showing women and uh, even young women professionals actually are playing more and more in leadership role mm. in terms of accelerating clean energy transition. That's really fascinating trying to watch. It's nice to know that it's not going to be a luxury anymore to be using a solar power. Not <laughs> anymore. It's just the cheapest, <laughs> the most cost effective way of, you know, uh, to deploy now. We mm. should get on it. And still on you, Professor Chenghua, the COP Summit witnesses the first global stock take what was straightened out and where are we now with regards well, the to the gap mm. yeah i think the first thing first i think the biggest uh, you know contribution from the first ever stock taking process mm -hmm. really tells us with the data and the evidence that we are lagging way way behind what we said we're mm. going to do mm. particularly through the commitment to the paris agreement there and we committed back in 2015, the Paris Agreement, that we are going to manage to keep the global warming within ideally below 1.5 degrees mm. Celsius by the end of the century. We are literally on the 3 degrees Celsius trajectory at this mm. moment there. The major contribution to the global process is a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. It's not just to say we should, but we need to figure out what are the barriers, the root causes for that sort of a gap. Very importantly, mm. through the copper process and, of course, through other partnerships there, we need to figure out how to address them, to mm. remove those hurdles. Otherwise, we cannot possibly to deliver what all the political leaders, governments have committed to, which is achieving carbon neutrality by mm -hmm. around the mid of century. And of course, we need to half the emissions ideally before 2030. Mm -hmm. And now we, we have barely just seven years to go. Mm -hmm. And that's a big question on the table we need yeah. to address there. Professor Argan, maybe we'll rewind a little for our listeners who may not know what exactly is this global stock take and what were the expectations for African countries from the stock take? The stock take is it puts us in a position to understand what is there in stock. Mm -hmm what plans are there against what has been implemented. The reality is that there's a lot in stock, yes, that has been planned, 
but not so much has been drawn from that stock mm. into implementation as it naturally goes before you implement this need for a serious plan, mm. which I think we've done well. But out of the plan that we got in stock, I think there's a lot more to be done because there's a reality on the ground. The droughts have extended. Yeah. The floods are abnormal. The temperatures have risen. There is a change if you look at the existing climate that we currently experience. Mm -hmm. So there's need to act faster. Every African leader is screaming that if there is a pledge of financial support, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. $100 billion annually, then let's make it a reality. Mm -hmm. How about the decision yeah. of COP to operationalize the new fund on loss and damage? How has it been welcomed? by leaders of developing countries and less developed countries. What's your take? Leaders sound very excited. Okay. When everybody heard about that kind of budget, mm -hmm. everybody went very, very excited. But there's a reality catching up that there is a figure that has been put in budget, mm -hmm. but achieving that figure is an uphill task. Mm -hmm. So that is what is daunting our hopes. But when we mention like, let's put that there's a figure of $100 billion annually, then yes, that drew up our hopes very high. Every African leader very excited. Majority of Africans were excited that at long last, there is some hope. And now the reality of achieving that budget seems to be an uphill task to, to everybody. Professor Chenghua, uh, still on finances there, on the issue of climate finance, do we see any climate finances coming through? The short answer is yes. Okay. Uh, this probably is the highlight of the first week of COP28. Okay. Uh, under the UAE presidency, just mentioning besides the number you mentioned, actually the loss and damage fund, which was theoretically operationalized the first day of the COP28. Mm -hmm. Now there's a total of about $726 million mm -hmm. pledged to this fund. Now, the challenge is we do not know enough details. And theoretically, all the funds need to be new mm. rather than recycled. Mm. So there are lots of complicated issues there we need to address. We need to follow up next. Overall, as I said, this success factor shows that there's a stop taking for the first week, actually, yeah. achievements so far. So, so far for the first week, a total of $83 billion okay. have been mobilized by COP28. Of course, if you look at it down to the nitty gritty details, besides this $726 million commit to you know, loss and the damage there, mm. there's $3.5 billion now in new fund announced to replenish the Green Climate Fund, which is mostly dedicated to climate mitigation mm. under the Paris Agreement. There's a number called 133.6 million announced mm. dollars um, announced Big towards adaptation there. fund. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's $129.3 million announced towards the least developed nations fund. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another $31 million designated to the special climate change fund, among others there. Mm -hmm. So all the numbers adding up already, actually. So for the first week, theoretically, we're mobilizing $83 billion there. Now, mm -hmm. put that in the perspective of what Oscar mentioned yeah. about this $100 billion there. Right, right. We all know, actually, under the Paris Agreement, developed countries providing developing countries up to $100 billion every mm -hmm. year by 2020. Mm. Now, they say, oh, finally, uh, you know, that was achieved mm. three years after 2020. So that's a sort of the highlight of the climate of finance there. As I said, we definitely need more money, even mm. back to the loss and the damage fund, which now we have only some $126 million pledged. Put that in the context of a need. Right. The UN report assessment says 
in order to really help in developing countries to really fight climate change, particularly around the loss and damage there. Mm -hmm. Globally, every year, we need somewhere between 100 billion to 580 billion every year. Mm. So now, when you recognize that sort of number, this is UN authoritative assessment. And then now we have this sort of trickle, a drop in the ocean mm. pledges there. Mm. You started to realize how challenging that is and that will continue to be. Because on one side, of course, we're delighted to have this loss of damage fund mobilized. Right, but right. in the meantime, where is the money? The, yeah. How do we make sure there will be adequate money to be mobilized? So there's bigger questions created already on the table for the global community to figure out the next step. I'm still you, Professor. Now, in the context of China and African countries, what would you say can be done to support African countries in efforts towards green development? Well, I think China is not just only ready. Uh, China, Africa have been working together uh, to fight climate change through the sort of bilateral fronts. One is about rolling initiative, the other one is South-South collaboration. So China, African countries have been working together in terms of build up capacity, Mm -hmm. right? We all know this is not just simply say, just just do it and put the money there. You need expertise, talents, sharing experience, creating all kinds of vehicles, platforms, Mm -hmm. infrastructure to support that process. That has been going on. Mm. The second element, actually, if you look at uh, particularly through the Belt and Road Initiative, China is committing to greening its Belt and Road. So Belt and Road Initiative now is totally green. On that vehicle, as well as from the South-South you know, Climate Partnership vehicle, I think renewable energy solution need to be further accelerated. Mm-hmm. China has already made the case. If you look at the solar energy in particular, that's the least cost solution. Now that could be fully deployed to address the issues there. Besides, actually, it's not simply solar. It's about distributed energy systems there. From solution perspective, technology perspective, we all know they exist today mm-hmm. and they could be at very low cost, affordable so we need to figure out how to accelerate on that, that front. There is another very important front is about adaptation. Mm. As we are talking about here, China, African nations already been caught up in the in the vicious cycle, yeah. right? And yeah. so we have to suffer all the damages yeah. there already. Yeah. So early warning systems, how to build up the early warning system mm. infrastructure, technology infrastructure together is very important as well. I'm delighted to see that, again, China and African nations are joining hands to implement this sort of great green wall initiative mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and really China providing is a high resolution earth observation systems, mm-hmm. they do navigation satellite system. Yes, we can definitely come together to enhance our resilience, our adaptation capability, but in the meantime, accelerating clean energy transition. I remain really, really hopeful for that to happen at a much accelerated rate. Professor Argan, still on green development, in the context of China and Africa, what can the two sides do to strengthen cooperation on green development for both to achieve the UN 2030 agenda and, of course, Africa's sustainable development goals and African Union Agenda 2023. China has all the technology the Africans are looking for. Okay. And the Africans have all the space of where the Chinese can implement their technology. I think it's a matter of collaboration. It's a matter of working together Mm -hmm. to draw a common understanding because the Chinese technology fits into the African context pretty well. If it is renewable energy, solar energy, Mm -hmm. Africa has the best platform to do this. Chinese on the other side have the best technology. So I think it's a matter of finding a balance, Mm. like when to do it and how to do it 
because the why is already there. Can I add a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I think in reality, the case already made in China and the level of sophistication also exists today, particularly mm. from cases made in China. Mm. Of course, mm. on one side, we need to accelerate the deployment of clean energies there. The solution already, China has already made the case. Mm. The costs have been driven down very dramatically mm. in mm. terms of affordability perspective. And again, in the meantime, we all know we need to address the bigger sustainable development goals perspective, right? Mm. So you started to see the case made in China is a solar installation can be linked to food agriculture, fishery yeah. can be linked to buildings, mobilities. Mm. Uh, so this is where exactly that should happen as soon as yeah. possible. Yeah. At the COP last week, Tsinghua University, some other partners that I've been working together with launched officially something called a global campaign for solarized the planet, okay. advocating this one kilowatt solar installation per capita by 2030. Mm. China is already moving ahead with that. And now we mm. want to work with more global partners to do that. Right. We also launched the first solar map. So creating a digital vehicle, not only to show, to make it visible, but right. very importantly, to create a platform more interactive, connecting the dots. So that digital platform can become a very important tool right. for all the partners coming together. We can learn together because there are going to be data, the granularity of the data through mm. case studies in China. Mm. So a lot of learning, sharing, and that right. could happen. But in the meantime, we want to get more partners on board together. Are there any African climate change initiatives related to China and African countries in the G77, which China already supports or will be for the first time? It's hard to draw the line mm-hmm. in a way, because as I said, there were a couple of ways of looking at this climate partnership between China and African nations okay. there. Okay. The one is the global negotiation process, okay. the Paris Agreement. In that context, we've been following closely the definition, right? We have this uh, sort of developed versus developing countries there that has been part of the controversial sort of focus, uh, particularly related to China versus there are global climate financing mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't China just put you know its money in those pots as well, rather than just through its own created vehicles like South-South and BRI? Mm. Uh, again, I'm not a decision maker on that. I okay. don't know. But somehow I know China is donating, supporting, providing financial support mm-hmm. uh, to work on the South South partnership as well as BRI there. All the things we've been already doing, it's not new. The two parties already been working very closely together on the mitigation side, on the adaptation side, mm-hmm. and more and more so will be on the technology side as well. Climate finance is a separate, it's a sort of a, more like China and African, you know, sort of vehicle there as well. Mm. And as I said, we need to go deeper. Does this announce new initiatives, whatever? We need to yeah, deliver. We need to, we need to implement all the things we said tangible. already yeah. and really deliver outcomes. That's the most important thing. Just to wind off, Professor, what do you think on issues of phasing out fossil fuels? Well, uh, that's pretty <laughs> much the focus of the day. That's <laughs> going to be the focus, actually, of the final test of the COP28. Uh-huh. Uh, we are pretty much caught up in the phase out versus the phase down. I don't think there's a simple answer for China, India, and other developing countries. We are stuck in the situation, mm. uh, you know, of this fossil fuel, face out the fossil fuel versus the transition mm, there as mm. well. 
I do want to bring to the conversation a harsh reality. Globally, if you look at the, between 1992 when we had the UN Climate uh, Convention,、mm -hmm. and、uh, we could, now we committed to 2050 towards a net zero carbon. Today, we stand in the middle, in the middle of、mm. it on、mm. this journey.、Mm. Now, since 1992, globally together, yeah,、right. we only managed to reduce four percent. Of our reliance on fossil fuels so far.、Right. Now, put that in the context of a global commitment to achieving net zero by 2050.、Mm. We only have 27 years to go.、Sure. Just imagining, at least we need to reduce another 80 to 84 percent of fossil fuel reliance between、mm. now and 2050.、Mm -hmm. We do need to ask ourselves a harsh、mm -hmm. question: Is it possible?、Mm -hmm. Is it feasible? So the conversation again back to this sort of fossil fuel issue in the COP twenty eight context. There, let's not be naive, yeah, right? Yeah. We have to face the reality yeah, yeah. because the message is very very clear, particularly for developed countries.、Mm. If they were serious about decarbonizing,、mm. you know, fossil fuels, you know, energy system, there, they all together should have achieved. Zero reliance on fossil fuels already. So in that process, they set a good example, and in the meantime, they should create leave more space、yeah. for other developing yeah. countries actually、right. to grow.、Yeah. Unfortunately, that has never been delivered, and this is a harsh reality. Professor Algen, your thoughts on the 1.5 degree limit? Is it still possible, and what will it take to achieve this? It's a complex. Situation because it's a change of mindset.、Mm -hmm. It's a change of a resource that we've known ever since, because、mm -hmm. <laughs> fossil fuel has been there for some time. The current technology we all use rely a lot on fossil fuel.、Mm -hmm. Now that there's an alternative and there's need to change, I think there's a mindset that has to change,、mm -hmm. and there is hope that at some point it will happen. But the process is rather very gradual、mm. as it stands now.、Uh, it's not an overnight event.、Mm. It has to be a process that we take fifty, sixty, seventy, a hundred years.、Mm. But we are on the path, and we are committed to doing it. But there's a reality that has caught up with us now. Okay, professors.、Um, I think I've got mixed feelings, but at the end of the day, I'm glad there is hope. If we all put our resources together and meet these targets, at the end of the day. I'll play my part as well, and I hope our listeners out there will also be able to pick something from our discussion and play their part individually because climate change is affecting us all. Professors, I'd like to say thank you again for your insight. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Thanks again. See you next time.